What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Daniel James II, and welcome to Black Voices on the Hill. Black Voices on the Hill is a podcast and radio show for the culture. We center Black lives, amplify Black stories, and enhance the Black experience at Cornell, Greater Ithaca, and beyond. Black Voices on the Hill topics range from racism, police brutality, and colorism, slash sexism, to Greek life, leadership, and white elitism in the Ivy League. Black Voice on the Hill envisions a Cornell that is sensitive to the plight of its Black students, aware of the Black experience in its college town, and unabashed about the bringing change to the world. We seek Black excellence at Cornell, we believe in Black empowerment, and we love the Black experience. We hope that you enjoy our podcast and radio show, and please leave feedback via a rating or review. Listen, y'all, today in the studio, I have none other than the one and only Miss Laura Holland. Laura, say hi to the people. Hey, everybody. Hi, Laura. Laura, listen, it's been a long time coming. We've been in this quarantine or pandemic for almost six months this August. Um, tell me, what are you doing right now during this time of quarantine? Where are you? Who are you with in that time? Of course. Yes. Yeah, so since mid-March, I have gone back home. I'm from Westchester County. Um, New York, <laughs> um, specifically in Port Chester, so about 30 minutes outside of New York City. Um, so originally, it was scary coming back here because it was the epicenter of the pandemic. But since New Yorkers really took it seriously, it's definitely cooled down, but it's on the rise everywhere else in the country. So a lot of this time has been about self-care, um, just being with my family. Fortunately, everyone in my family has been safe and healthy, and I've been quarantined with my mom and my two siblings. And it's been really nice being here because during the school year, I'm gone like so often. And also last summer, I was away for an internship. So this is my first time I've really been able to spend quality time with everybody. So that's definitely been a perk. And I've been here with my two dogs, and they're my favorite ever so it's been nice walking them every day and just hanging out with them so yeah i mean considering everything i've been doing relatively well but i'm definitely excited to go back to campus and have some more me time so that's good we all need that and um you know it's interesting even thinking about the prospect of going back because there are so many students who are not going back uh tell me this Laura. What do you think about uh, the opening up of campus, how it's being done? Um, of course, you know that there was the, uh, the list, the new New York State Advisory List that has been published and made available, and over 35 states have been added to that list, uh, South Carolina being one where I hail from. And, you know, it's just created a lot of havoc uh, for students because now students who are really excited about going back, even though there are precautions in place, now there's even more things limiting us from coming back. What do you think about how Dr. Pollock is proceeding forward? Right. Um, as you said, I think this pandemic just generally has really been exposing a lot of the systemic inequality in our country. And I think the reopening plan is doing the exact same thing. Um, for God. those who are not fortunate enough to live in New York or states that are not on the New York State Advisory List, you're now forced to quarantine somewhere for 14 days. Um, and 
people don't have the luxury to do that. Um, that's expensive. You have to stay at a hotel or just somewhere and spend extra money that you may not have. So I know a lot of people like in the whole community group chat that a lot of black students are in, people were like, it was blowing up and people were complaining and just saying that it's not fair and it isn't. I have a lot of friends who were planning on coming back, but now we're not because of this new policy. So I know a lot of people like myself are excited to go back because, you know, we're all kind of getting tired of being with our families 24-7 or getting stir crazy. And I know at least for myself, I study and work a lot better at school and with libraries without the distractions of being at home. But there are also a lot of consequences of all of us going back because already we're seeing a jump in coronavirus cases in Tompkins County. So... I hope that people are responsible, but we already know college students aren't and are already causing cases to spike up again in Tompkins County. So I just have to make sure that I follow all protocol, social distance and everything, and hopefully other people do the same thing. So obviously it's Cornell, it's, it's hard to open just regardless. And I fear as mm -hmm. a lot of students do that, will end up closing sooner than we're supposed to. So we'll see. It's, it's, it'll be interesting. I mean, there's so much you said that's so true. Um, the inequity truly is on all fronts when it comes to this pandemic. And it really has exposed a lot of inequities, not that Cornell has necessarily created all of them, but it has exposed the fact that that's why it's systemic uh, in that it pervades every single part of our system in every sector of society, even in elite schools and how we choose to move about. You know, a lot of students live in multifamily homes um, or come from backgrounds where they're living in single family homes that are actually housing multifamily units and are not able to quarantine as safely as other kids. Um, some kids actually when they're home their responsibility is to work and school became their only sort of recourse or way to actually study in an isolated environment actually focus on studies so that's that's interesting to think about um how that's impacting so many students across just an intersection of identities let me ask you this um alongside this pandemic you know i've been saying on every single show i've said you know if the pandemic is not killing us, police are. And I want you to talk a little bit about what are you doing for self-care during this time? Um, I want you to just talk about your general thoughts of, and, and I use these as precursors to every conversation because it's so needed. Police pandemic, we gotta talk about that. And so <laughs> what do you think about the deaths? Um, particularly, we've used these three deaths to sort of hone in on the conversation, but there have been multiple lives lost, multiple black lives during this time. But talking about thinking, when you think about Breonna Taylor, when you think about George Floyd, when you think about Ahmaud Arbery um, in the past months, which actually has been um, almost two months, I believe, since George Floyd. Um, it's been like four or five since, uh, since Ahmaud's death. What, do you, what are your thoughts and what are you doing for self-care during this time? Mm. Great question. It's definitely been a lot. I remember when George Floyd was first murdered at the end of May and Instagram was blowing up and it, just so much was happening and I just felt so overwhelmed. And for me, I just had to unplug, just not go on Instagram for a while. I couldn't watch the news. 
because it's just exhausting. And I know at that time, you know, I went to an all white high school, you know, Cornell's a predominantly white institution. I had a lot of my friends reaching out to me saying, what can I do to help? Like, I know, like, how are you doing? I want to reach out and check in on you. And it's overwhelming trying to explain yourself and teach them things and give them resources. Of course, it's all in like good faith and it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing that they are reaching out, but it's exhausting seeing everything online and trying to be a resource to people as well. So for me, it was really important that I was surrounded by my family and that we were together to just kind of relax and take our minds off of things. So for me, like just watching like TV is helpful, just taking myself, just watching an episode of something to just take my mind off of it. So that's been really helpful. Also, I mentioned that I have two dogs, so I would walk, I walk them at least twice a day. So that's really helpful to just clear my mind, listen to music, and just go outside and not think about What are their names? Uh, I have two. So Daisy, she's a cockapoo. She's okay. 14 years old. So she's getting up there, but she's just <laughs> as useful as she was years ago. And the second one is Blossom, and she's a Yorkie. So they're amazing. So they've really kept me sane during this time because they're just so happy. They don't really, they don't know what's going on. So they've been really good for me. Um, And yeah, just being outside. I think that my family is fortunate enough to have a deck. So I sit out there and try and do work as much as I can to just kind of have some type of zen. And my sister and I have been doing a lot of workout classes together. Um, Cornell has Zoom classes every week, so I've been taking advantage of those. So we do yoga, we do Zumba, we do all kinds of like cardio and strength stuff. So that's been helpful, just kinds of putting my energy somewhere else. Because it's been great that the Black Lives Matter is seeing a resurgence, despite like how terrible these deaths has been. These deaths have been, and there's a lot of momentum in the movement, which is good. But it it definitely takes a toll for sure. Yeah. No, I feel that. You know, you say um, your dog doesn't know, but I'm pretty sure they probably know something's different. You know, y'all are home all the time. What's going on? You know, and um, <laughs> but it is interesting to think about that. And um, The earth has had time to also heal, though, while we've been inside. So that's also something to think about. But in many ways, there's also been pain. And, and it's like, how do you how do you grapple with these two conflicting like notions of like the earth needs to heal, but also like there's like human parts that are hurting and in pain, you know? Right. And it's, uh, it's interesting to think about just policing in general. Um, I, I wrote an article that talked about um, that, that the good apples that spoil the bad bunch. And it basically talked about how um, the policing culture in America, um, it produces good fruit only by happenstance, but the culture mm-hmm. is ac- actually um, built to produce um, cops that brutalize and cops that uh, do not protect citizens. <laughs> and essentially that good apples often spoil the bad bunch. I tell the story of this lady in uh, Buffalo. Her name's Carrie O'Horn, an ex-cop. And uh, her story sort of with policing, and she sort of had a resurgence. So it's just interesting to think about um, even how this has brought larger questions of policing and larger questions of uh, how police are in schools and just every single segment of society as well and how we're addressing um, inequity on every single front. So it's interesting to think about 
Laura, tell me, okay, so shifting away from more national conversations to now thinking about uh, just you, Miss Laura Holland, because you're our spotlight today. We're interviewing you. Tell me, what are some of the things that you do on campus? Um, I know that you are pursuing a, a legal profession in the future, but we want to know about you and um, what you do on Cornell's campus. Tell the people. Of course. So I'm really passionate about the law and um, social justice and the intersection of those two. So I've, I've, I'm involved in several things on campus, but I am really passionate about community service as well. I've done that all throughout high school. And I think for us to really understand issues of communities that we want to help, like we have to have hands-on work in helping them through service. So I'm part of Alpha Phi Omega or APO, the community service fraternity. I've been involved since my first semester freshman year, and it's been really great. A lot of my friends are in it, and it's a really, it's a large, but at the same time, an intimate community who love helping people. So that's a really great way that for me to stay involved in service. And there's an event through APO called Prisoners Express, and you basically are pen pals with prisoners, and you write letters to them back and forth, and you get to learn about their days and about their lives behind bars. And it's really, really fascinating. So I recommend that event, even if you aren't involved in APO. So, um, and also I'm involved in CAPI, CAP Apple Pie, the pre-law fraternity on, yeah, woo, woo. yeah, it's really great. Um, I love CAPI. It's a great environment for me to be surrounded by really motivated future lawyers and people who are just passionate about the law. And um, it has so many great resources for LSAT prep. LSAT prep and all of that. So I really love CAPI. And actually, um, I am the incoming diversity and inclusion chair for CAPI on eBoard. So that's been really great um, promoting DNI. And we have, um, and earlier this summer, in response to the murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, and uh, Breonna Taylor, several of us on eBoard had the idea to make a panel with featuring um, Black alumni from both CAPI and Black Ivy Pre-Law Society, in which I'm also a for. So we had a panel a few weeks ago, and we chose them, we selected alumni from both of our organizations to talk about their experiences being Black in the workplace, how they are pursuing their legal careers for justice and like just promoting diversity in their workplace, and how their, and how their jobs have responded to the resurgence in the Black Lives Matters movement. So it was a really, really great conversation. Um, it was sponsored by I, like the ILR school and other organizations on campus. So and it's recorded, it's online. So it's really great. And I hope other people can uh, reach out and watch it. So that was something that I did recently as diversity and inclusion chair in response to everything that's going on in the world. And it was really, really powerful. So. I'm involved in CAPI and also Black Ivy Pre-Law Society. I joined that last year. And it's a really great organization where not just only Black people, but underrepresented minorities come together and just want to be lawyers and are passionate about justice and promoting diversity in the workplace and outside of the workplace. It's really great. And they give you really specialized advice for like Black people and Black lawyers. So. I really love it. And we got to go to Washington, D.C. this past semester. And um, we got to go on law school tours. And we also got to go to the Supreme Court and the Capitol. 
And um, we talked to different like professionals at local law firms there. It was really, really fascinating. So Black Ivy is amazing. And um, my job on campus, I know it's a lot of stuff that I do. I'm very busy, but oh it's all goodness. good. It's all good. Don't y'all hear it? Don't y'all hear it? I'm telling you. I'm running out of breath talking about it, but my job, my job on campus, I work for intramural sports as a supervisor and referee. Um, Throughout my life, I've been an athlete and it's been so much fun. It keeps me active and healthy and it's also a form of self-care, just taking things off your mind and a little break in your day. So um, I've been a referee for flag football, basketball, and volleyball also played on some intramural sports it's a lot of fun and it's the best job at Cornell so that's the last thing I'll say but I, I just love everything I do on campus <laughs> oh and um in case you guys didn't know we are Capri brothers um we're both yes. aspiring attorneys um and uh I'm still thinking about Black Ivy because I do love it Cappy just took so much time I've done a lot of other sort of DNI work, but um, that's really interesting to think about. Um, let me ask you this. You all did have a seminar recently. Uh, let me ask you about what do you think, how do you think we can change the, the landscape of the legal career? Or maybe you can talk about criminal justice in general. And maybe you can talk also about what DNI work sort of you're going to think about doing as a member of CAPI to make it a little bit more inclusive. We've had some conversations, you know, concerning fraternities in general, but also professional fraternities, legal fraternities, about how we can make them more sensitive to marginalized identities. Um, how can we do that? And maybe you could talk a little bit about larger criminal justice work that needs to be done as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, a reason why I want to be diversity and inclusion chair for CAPI is because I see that there isn't enough diversity in these orgs. I think CAPI is a lot better than a lot of the other pre-professional orgs that I've seen at Cornell. I think we do have a lot of diversity, but obviously I don't think enough. I think there can always be more. And I think diversity in all forms, like racial, economic, gender, um, diversity of thought, and uh, like intellectual diversity. So I think that it's important to consider all kinds. And like intersection and surface level right exactly so um so i'm passionate about that and um right so i think during the seminar that we just had about blackness and diversity in the workplace asia moore who just graduated class of 20 who was a copy brother and was our diversity and inclusion chair last year she said something really really interesting and she talked about advocating for yourself and empowering minority voices like in the workplace and how oftentimes, especially as young people and as black people, we feel like, and as women as well, we, we don't feel like we're given the chance to really advocate for ourselves and speak up on our behalf and, for, and on the behalf of others. So I think that she said, there was something that made her really uncomfortable. There's a comment that someone on her team made that she was uncomfortable with. And she emailed her director and said, this wasn't okay. This is why. And please do something about it. And they listened. Like if we speak up and say there are concerns, like people will listen. So I thought that was really powerful. So I think changing the landscape of the legal profession is just speaking up because I think we're afraid to do it. But if enough of us do, 
then people will listen and people will change their behavior. So I thought that was really powerful. So yeah, I would just say it's really important to advocate for ourselves because I think no one else will. And right now, especially in this climate, people are willing to change and there's like this white guilt and white fragility that is on a high. So I think we really need to capitalize on that. So I think right now is the time to, you know, really reform these systems. Right. White now, <laughs> right now. <laughs> right. I think it's, it is interesting to think about that we are our best advocates when you think about Black issues, but also that Black women have had to be their best advocate because so many movements, if the movement's not white-centered, if it is a Black movement, then it's going to be Black men-centered. So it becomes very like anti, not just anti-Black, but anti-Black women, a lot of spaces. So we just have to be very careful about how we approach things and also that we are being advocates as much as we can, but also giving room and voice and space and centering of these workplaces on the lowest marginalized identity, which in many cases and instances is the Black woman in the workplace especially. So it's interesting to think about. Um, and those conversations need to continue to go on. Um, tell me this, where do you see yourself in the legal landscape in the future. Um, you have not already directly said that, I haven't heard you say that, but I want to know where does Laura see herself uh, in 10 years or, you know, whatever uh, span of time, the next five years, you know, where do you, because so much can happen now that you're in. You're 20, right? Yeah, right. So much, yeah. So much. Um, I know. So that's a good question. I think generally I, I know what I want my career to look like. I'm really passionate about social justice and public interest law. Um, I've had a, a lot of working experience in the public interest realm. Like I've worked on political campaigns for local representatives of mine, as well as I've worked at a nonprofit. And um, this past, this summer currently, I'm working for a Tompkins County public defender and helping her with her cases and doing a lot of legal research. So it's been really great learning about the law and policy in these different realms. So um, I actually worked at this past winter in January, I worked at a corporate law firm in New York City for two weeks. And it was really fascinating. I thought, oh, I'm going to work at a law firm for the first time. It should be really great. And it was a really great learning experience. But I realized that corporate, the corporate field is not really for me. So it was good to learn that, but I enjoyed it overall. Um, Don't go corporate. Don't do it. Don't do it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So that kind of confirmed that I really want to do like hands-on community work. So I want to do, I don't know what kind of public interest law exactly. Like, I don't know if I want to be a public defender. I know there's other ways to do public interest law. So I'm trying to figure that out, but I do want to go to law school um, and focus on like social justice centered, like criminal justice reform work. Um, And then after that, I don't know what kind of public interest law I want to do, but I want to do that for however many amount of years. But eventually I do want to work in politics, like hopefully in an elected position. That's something I'm really passionate about. I've always been involved with student government. Um, I've worked on campaigns and it's really powerful. And I think as we see, especially in this pandemic, we see that policy is 
the number one way to make like sweeping systemic change. And we need more like young people, people of color, black people, black women in Congress and just in elected positions. Because as we see, like these people are not gonna write legislation for us unless we're in the room and like we demand it and are on the streets demanding it. So that's why like I know that people like me need to be in those at the table and in those positions of power. So that's what I want to do eventually. I don't know what the timeline exactly looks like, but law school, some type of public interest law, and then a political career. So that's just kind of the general idea. But yeah, that's it where I see myself. Wow, doing great work. I could see you, uh, you and AOC and uh, Ayanna Presley. Uh, you definitely remind me of her, actually. It's interesting, <laughs> Laura. <Wow. laughs> definitely. Um, and doing the type of work that she does, even more importantly, with regards to equity and justice in all form. Um, that political sphere is just, it can be also very white male dominated. And that needs to change, absolutely, because at the center of it is policy. And I have realized the difference um, and the importance in making the distinction, but also the connection between policymaking and legislating. Policymaking is very much Mm -hmm. about seeing the vision of a city. And it is from policy that you are able to make effective legislation and laws that govern a society to bring about that change. And a lot of times people know how to create laws that keep people in order, but they don't know about creating laws that create a better society and and that are actually vision oriented towards a more inclusive and equitable community and society. That's how we see so many neighborhoods. That's why policing is used as a band-aid for every single issue because there aren't effective policymakers in place to look at the vision of a city and say, what do we want? We want better schooling, we want more inclusive schooling, we want more funding in schooling, we want better jobs, um, more equitable jobs, um, and, and how do we go about seeking that as opposed to, we don't want crime, we don't want X, Y, Z, right? Knowing what we want, right. I think it will create a better society, and I think we need people like you doing that work, and that's interesting to think about. So tell me, what is next for Miss Laura? Um, you can talk about what's next. To, what are you doing today? Or you can talk about this week or just how you're planning to go back to school and what's next. Hmm. So what's next for me? Obviously, preparing to go back to school um, and finishing up my internship that ends next week. So mm-hmm. um, just wrapping up on all my legal assignments for my public defender and getting all those in check and just finishing out the internship strong and then figuring out all the logistics to get back to school and how crazy that's all going to be back on campus just figuring all that out and also figuring out classes because we don't know anything about the classes what's happening nothing absolutely nothing so when the classes come out I have to figure out all that and finish my minors and ILR requirements and yeah so that's gonna be a little crazy so I figured that out but beyond that and just kind of getting schoolwork done during the year I'm gonna uh, start studying for the LSAT like very rigorously um, and take that sometime this year um, to just kind of get it done and uh, so I can start writing applications in the next year um, 
yeah, so I'm going to do that. And then also this summer, instead of being at home and doing a virtual internship through Cornell Law School, I was supposed to be doing the ILR program in Zambia. You know, they have like the global service learning and you'd be working. I was supposed to be working at a nonprofit there. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, coronavirus. So I couldn't go. So hopefully... (sighs) I can go to Zambia next year, so I'll apply for that, and then I'll be doing policy research, hopefully, next June. So I'm excited about that. Let's pray that that works out. But yeah, that should be be next. Thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Laura, it has been absolutely amazing having you today. And um, all of Black Boys on the Hill, we just thank you so much for being a part. And thank you for saying yes. Of course, this was so much fun. I mean, I love Daniel James. So anything, anything for Daniel. (laughs) Well, thank you, Laura. And thank you all for listening and tuning in. Remember, this is Black Voices on the Hill, WVVR 93.5 FM at the Gazelturn radio station. Well, that's all for today, y'all. Thank you for tuning into today's episode of Black Voices on the Hill. Special thanks goes out to my executive producers, Mike Sykes, Mike Mike, and Grace Fairchild. Love you, Grace. This week, I would like to pay special tribute and homage to two lives that we have lost. The first being a native of South Carolina like me. This little black boy made it big and inspired the world through his gift to bring any icon to life on screen. Today, we salute the life and legacy of Chadwick Boseman, the king of Wakanda, forever the Black Panther. We will always cherish what he meant to Black boys and girls around the world so that they too believe they can be superheroes. Lastly, but not least, this person whom we've lost is not necessarily a Black voice, but she was cherished for her work as a sojourner for truth, equality for women, And today on Black Voice on the Hill, we celebrate her valiant fight as an ally in the freedom struggle for Black people in this country. Often called the notorious RBG, she was a pioneering justice on the Supreme Court. For truly, you could not spell truth without Ruth. Cornell will forever love you and your legacy will live on, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Black Voice on the Hill is brought to you by WVBR News. To see when more new and upcoming episodes and for other Cornell and Ithaca news, follow at WVBR FM News on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or simply visit us on our website at wvbr.com slash black voices. Subscribe to us on all podcast platforms. I mean Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or simply tune in right here on WVBR 93.5 FM every Friday at 2 p.m. We'll see you next week, family. Peace out.